0: So many memories have come flooding back. I put this on and repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stopped talking and just stared at the radio, yeah. like, what is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I, I love, love, love that love song it. so much.
1: Out of
2: the box, meet people through their music with Ash Berdebez on FBI.
0: coming off the back of a delightful morning of programming at the hands of none other than Alex Pye. For the past three hours she's been taking care of your tunes and as always on the programs and playlists tab on the website you can find out what she's played throughout the hour. We always upload them as we go diligently. We've got producers behind the scenes doing so. So if you find that you've heard something and you want to look it up for your very own then you can find it there on the website. So today on Out of the Box I've got Juan Francisco Salazar who is an anthropologist and filmmaker from Chile and he was born under the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet and was part of the demonstrations to topple the dictatorship and now he's a lecturer at Western Sydney Uni with a doctorate in communication and media and his documentary Nightfall on Gaia is showing at Antenna Documentary Film Festival and is shot over four years in Antarctica. Welcome on Out of the Box Juan.
3: Thank you Ash, thank you for having me.
0: So, you get to play DJ for an hour on this show, and last time you played DJ, I hear it went very well, you did so in Antarctica, a little club there.
3: Yes, uh, being DJ is one of my dreams that I haven't <laughs> uh, been true yet. I was in Antarctica the last time, the last trip, and um, it was three days before coming back, coming out of Antarctica, and I was able to, there was this really boring karaoke, and I had my phone. And I said, can I play a song? And everyone liked it and I said, can I play another one? And then we danced for about five hours to all the songs I had on my phone. So all styles from tango to punk to rock and everyone danced every single song. So I was the dream come true for any DJ. It,
0: I mean, and any crap DJ, because apparently it's just really easy crowds in Antarctica because you've got one club that's and right. everyone goes out for a boog. I just love that the residents there actually have a disco. You don't think about like kind of having a kind of club in Antarctica very that's, often. That's
3: right. Yeah, it was a great place to be DJing.
0: Yeah, I and mean, this is a very different place to DJ. I mean you've dropped bangers on the on the D floor at Antarctica, so now I wonder how it's gonna go down on FBI radio. So we've got a lot of good tracks for the hour. I'm actually really I, hope so. I love this playlist. <laughs> I'm I'm looking really forward to sharing it. So um the first track that we've got for the hour is gonna be by King Midas Sound. And actually, before we play it, did, does that mean if you played that club in Antarctica, did you play the same venue as Metallica?
3: Almost the same venue. They played uh, live uh, in an open space, so next to a glacier. So they built like a little cocoon uh, to play, so everyone had to be listening with uh, earphones. So they I don't know how they arranged the sound to do that. So it was very close. The, the place where I DJed was a very small place, you know, so there was about 20 people dancing. So I cannot compare compared to Metallica, but it was, yeah, same, same part of Antarctica.
0: I just had this really absurd um, just mental image of someone taking a, like, you know, landing on a, on a little plane or on a little boat and taking a disco ball out and then walking it over to this venue and hanging it in the middle. Like, that's Let's just... do
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'm, I'm going, I'll invite you and we can do it.
0: So this song is called Earth Achillia by King Midas Sound and the documentary have made in Antarctica is a kind of a bit like future historic and we'll talk about that in a second so I just want to ask you why do you want to bring on this particular song by King Midas Sound?
3: Well first of all it's a really strange song, a quirky song uh, the lyrics are you know very special and because part of the work that I do as an anthropologist is um, looking at the environment and climate change and how people uh, think about climate change, respond to climate change and this is a, a a song about, you know, the so-called Anthropocene, you know, like the men, I mean, humans now have the the force to shape the Earth. And this the song's about that, you know, the Earth will kill you because we are killing the Earth, so the Earth will take a revenge and will kill you back if you don't respect it, if you don't protect it. So so that's why I chose it. It's linked to what's happening in Antarctica. Antarctica is a fragile environment that needs to be taken care of. And the planet as a whole, if, if we don't, the planet will come back and bite bite us. That's basically what it is.
0: It's terrifying stuff on FBI 94.5. My guest on Out of the Box today is Juan Francisco Salazar. Here we go. It's King Midas Sound, Earth Achillia.
2: Will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. In this time, we have to live with earth. Mm. Stop the relentless pursuit of money. Everything have a soul. Rivers, stones, plants and trees all live in. Their power can be used, anchored or destroyed. We shall all live again through births and deaths. Spirits persist. Live simple. You can't sell the earth for profit. It's to live, not to sell. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. It's a long time now, We Organic. We organic. Mm. Them so-called scientists now catch on. What they want to call We Thinking Primitive. Mm. When they first thought it's drugs to poison. And look how they poison all the water. Mm. And selling it back to us in plastic bottles. plastic bottles, bottles. to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. My stomach is no graveyard for the dead. (laughs) Plantains, herbs, yam, kalaloo Things that come from the dust, man come from the dust. So you thought the West could make a system to live? Well, let me see who dead first. One thing I know is my liberty is my liberty. You see, my grandmother, Anytime she was sick, She would dream what she need to eat. And you wanna talk about medicine? She was in touch. She said all animals in the world could do this. Why not man? Why not man? Why not man? But it seemed we lose this ability just to keep in touch with what we need to live. live It your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it. The earth will kill you if you try to kill it. Your body heals you if you discipline it.
0: What do we say? Bloody terrifying stuff there from King Midas Sound. hope you heard all the lyrics there, because that is some profound stuff. Brought in by my guest today, Juan Francisco Salazar. Thanks for bringing that one in. Oh, thank you. Now, that kind of actually relates a little bit back to your documentary. You were thinking for a second about even having that in the film because of the the nature of the lyrics, but it's it's a bit of a tricky fit. It's definitely got its own flavor.
3: That's right. Uh, it, would have, it wouldn't have worked. Uh, but the lyrics are very important because uh, basically it's We're trying to kill the earth the earth will come back and it's all this critique of western knowledge of trying to apply you know our knowledge and the disconnection that we as a species now have with the natural world Uh, so in the film the main character uh, who is an astrobiologist as a scientist working for nasa but she's a maori woman so she's struggling with both types of knowledges her scientific knowledge and her indigenous knowledge so part of the lyrics of the song he's talking about his grandmother how she, she used to dream when she was sick and she would find the cure for her sickness while she was dreaming and that animals could do that but now we cannot do that. So in the film I I, I took a little bit of that as an inspiration for the character and Victoria Hunt who plays the character of Shuenun. Nun she's um, a woman of sight, a Maori woman of sight. So this is in real Maori culture women that can foresee the future in some way so that's the link i I think of the lyrics of that song
0: is is the idea that all women can foresee something no. into the future or is it no not all particular Maori. people yeah, yeah yeah
3: yeah just particular people so um Victoria was uh investigating, you know, that part of her culture and we brought that into the character and into the film through through that.
0: So I said it was a documentary. You say this is a character. Usually you don't find characters in documentary unless it's kind True, of, yeah. you know. We the, should have started there. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose it would be interesting to talk about the fact that this is a documentary but it's also kind of future historic. So mm. it's not necessarily, you know, you've gone out and filmed some truths and are representing them to people. This is what reality is. Yep. You've actually kind of added elements of sci-fi.
3: Yes, that's right. So basically um, I think documentary has a very important role to play in representing the past, documenting the present, but also anticipating possible futures, you know. So in this film I brought in a speculative um, element to it, so it's speculating about possible ways in which, you know, life in the Antarctica can, can go and possibly go wrong. So. We don't know what's going to happen in 20, 30 years, you know, it's a fragile environment. There's a treaty that protects the Antarctic, and for the time being, you know, it's protecting protecting it, but we don't know for how long. Mm. So it's bringing that element of fiction first to, to drive part of the story, to link the real characters together, but also to po- pose the question of what if, you know, what if this happens, what if it doesn't happen? And
0: and for setting it in the year 2043, 2044, yep. why would you set it in that particular year?
3: Because in the 2040s is when the Antarctic Treaty is um, due to be renewed. Uh, so if there's consensus from all the parties, it could change. So mineral exploitation could start in the 2040s if there's consensus with, from the consultative parties. There's 29 countries now mm-hmm. that make decisions. So
0: And so there's presently no mining on Antarctica not, and the no idea mining. is that... At that point, there could conceivably be mining on Antarctica. Yeah, world.
3: if there's consensus from the from these countries, yes. So things could de- deteriorate very quickly in the Antarctic if that would would ha- would have happened.
0: Yeah, is it an, a, a pristine environment technically?
3: Most of it, yes. Uh, people like to call it the last wilderness, you know, or, on Earth. Uh, and most of it is yes, but there's parts of it, particularly in the Antarctic Peninsula, that have been heavily polluted. Uh, so weather is. Uh, the ocean currents bring rubbish or we humans, whenever we go there, we'll already have an impact, waste, our own waste. Mm. So most of the bases have w- uh, waste treatment systems, you know, for our, you know, poos and all the shampoos. So e- everything yep. has an impact from yep. the time you wash your hair and whatever is in the shampoo or if you're taking antibiotics, all that goes into the water, pristine water. So it's it's very fragile in that in that sense. Actually,
0: yeah. we're finding that all over the world now that a lot of mm. you know pharmaceuticals are finding their way into people's drinking water. That's and you might all actually be on antidepressants mm. Mm. and That's not right. know about it. That's right. right. So there there are residents on Antarctica, and are they there like you know all throughout the year, or is it exclusively the summer that they can live there?
3: No, all throughout the year. There's about a thousand people living uh, all across the Antarctic, and that grows to about five thousand people in summer seasonal. But in the p- place where I've been working, which is the south of South America, the north of the Antarctic Peninsula, there's been a civilian population there uh, since 1984. So there's a school, you know, a gym, a little post office, uh, a, a bank where you could draw, you know, money from an ATM, al- although you don't need money. So a lot of the things there are for free, and it's like an exchange economy that's quite different to the rest of the world. So it's that's where I was partly interested interested in in documenting is what do the kids do in Antarctica for two or three years at school uh, the teachers need to be um, coupled of teachers married couples so they go there for two or three years I wonder why that is uh, I think that was part of a program of the Ministry of Education of Chile to bring couples that could live together in this very small environment 200 people f- uh, the winters are you know might minus 40 degrees completely dark uh, so th- I think that was part of the program that they had.
0: And because people are from all over the world, wouldn't you get seasonal affective disorder if you're living there throughout the winter? Is there anything there to combat that?
3: No, part of that is uh, explained in uh, in the film, how the teachers need to do all these activities for the kids, not just teaching them, but all these activities to keep them not depressed. Many of the kids go into depression because they wake up dark, it's dark, it's cold, they cannot leave the houses, sometimes there could be a wind storm that lasts for a week, so they cannot leave the house for a week, so it's, it's quite a demanding environment for humans, you know, I think that's why humans were never there, you know, it's it's an extreme environment, but we're moving into that extreme environment.
0: Yeah. Speaking of humans never being there, I mean, you're an anthropologist, so, you know, and you, you very much have an interest in indigenous cultures, so mm. why would you want to go to Antarctica in particular and look at the very, very young, I don't mm. even know if you could call it a culture that you've got all of these different nationalities and, you know, nationalism as well.
3: Uh, Precisely for that reason, because it's an emerging culture, it's a culture that's been invented, you know, so there's new ways of people feel they belong there, people feel attached to the Antarctic, people start building relationships, folk stories start emerging, you know, ghosts that are, so people start putting culture into the landscape uh, rather than studying, you know, like uh, an indigenous culture that has had that for many thousands of years. What I'm interested in here is how Culture is invented in this extreme environment so some anthropologists are doing the same in outer space so they're working with astronauts and people that have gone to space and they're planning to go to Mars and Antarctica is related and in that sense how we are moving outside of the planet and Antarctica is like a first step for that
0: I guess it's all part of the global commons it is yes so I think it might be time to take a track from I feel like it doesn't, really, it doesn't really fit what we've been talking about. The white stripes. White wow. maybe it, is the only operative word that makes it fit in there. But we will tell fit. you why. It does fit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you why we picked this track in a second. Yep. Or why you picked this track, yep, I'm afraid. Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, Juan Francisco Salazar is my guest now out of the box today. My name's Ash Bertabez and here you go. It's white stripes with Blue Orchard. What a flashback. Yep. box on FBI 94.5 and my guest today is Juan Francisco Salazar. There you go. It was The White Stripes, which I'm sure hasn't happened on the on the radio for a while. We actually got the CD out of the studio and we've got vintage stickers with lots of fingerprints and smudging all over it. It's a it's an interesting little artifact. It's an oldie. There. Oh yeah, oldie but a goodie. Yeah. So, you have a particular reason for wanting to bring that song on. Why did you want to bring The White Stripes Blue Orchid on?
3: Well, first personal reasons. I I love that song and that album and but the reason uh, for this purpose was that um, I think Jack White is a very interesting artist. Uh, not just a very good guitar player, but he invents uh, sounds. You know, he invents. Um, he likes to make guitars from plastic bottles and pieces of wood, and he travels the south of his country. You know, learning about old music, and the White Stripes came. Um, you know, came about, and the story that I that I heard is that he brought in Meg White and basically she learned how to play drums playing in the well just before launching the first album so that raw aspect of the White Stripes the fact like do-it-yourself kind of music is an approach that I took for my film you know I I was there alone I had to do camera and sound and I did the editing bit of learning on the job that's right so that do-it-yourself approach to my film you know it was inspiring from from I mean the White Stripes I think sound pretty good but my film, I think, looks pretty good as well. And, and it's that approach to, you don't need a big infrastructure behind you. You can still do powerful stuff.
0: Totally. There's, and it's, I think it's a very Western conceit that you need to mm. arrive on the scene fully formed with your talents, amazing and really well polished, before mm. you can create anything and show up publicly. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think it's damaging and it stops people from making creative work in the first place. That's
3: right. So that rawness is what I, I liked about that.
0: So your documentary is a little bit raw then. I guess, yes. you know, when you're when you're working on your own in Antarctica and trying to film a lot of stuff, there's there's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a lot of things that could, you know, go surprisingly right. Mm. Let's talk about one time where something went really right. You you had a chance encounter with some penguins, I hear.
3: Right. So everything was going very wrong uh, for a few days because I didn't have a script and I didn't have a treatment. So I had a, a very good idea of what I wanted the film to be about, which is about how people are finding a home in the Antarctic. But three days was snowing and wind, and I didn't know who to interview, and I was lost. And I forced myself one day to just go out and put the camera and point anywhere and see what happens. So I walked from the station to the the shore of the, of the bay, and there was these two Korean logistic personnel just having a chat. I don't understand Korean, so I don't know what they were talking about. And then I put the camera there, pointed, And waited for things to happen. So everything happened in front of the camera. So, first, there's these boats coming from the Korean station. So, the Korean station is just across from the bay. And it happened to be the replacement of the crew. So, the crew are there for one year. So, this is the old crew going back to Korea and the new crew coming back. Did
0: you know that was going to happen? No, I didn't know. That's amazing.
3: So, this weird looking people in these suits, suits, you know, like life support system, you know, almost astronauts coming and then a penguin comes into the frame and starts looking at them and wondering, What are you humans doing here? And start sort of talking to the humans in penguin language you know, like, Wha and then the <laughs> Korean scientist responds, Wha and they have a conversation there, all in front of the camera and then there's this van that comes in, you know, and and just distorts everything so it it was just a wonderful scene in the in the film uh, yeah. many people that have seen the film really like that scene and it was just absolutely by chance so That's amazing. The film got back on track after that.
0: I just I seriously can't believe that that scene was not staged, not staged at all, at all cuz no. you know when I watched it I was thinking this this is uncanny because I feel like why do you have these amazing really realistic actors mm. just like hanging out on Antarctica but mm. they they had no idea. No they had no idea. <laughs> Amazing. So, when 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 you were working in, on the film in Antarctica, when were things not going particularly well? I mean, you know, you've got inclement weather working against you, you've got the freezing cold all of the time. Mm. When have things gone particularly roughly?
3: I think working alone is difficult, no matter where you are, having to do camera sound uh, by yourself. So, that was a problem all the time, have, having to set up the equipment. And then going outside, the exteriors were so cold. I had to wear gloves, and then I had to say, take the gloves out off, so I could could operate the camera. But it, was but it looks so like cold. you've got your
0: your fingers are intact. Yes, I'm surprised. Yes,
3: uh, I I feared for them for some time because I really wanted to have a shot. So I just went all the way until I couldn't feel my hands anymore, and then I just put the gloves back on. And there was uh, one uh, interview I wanted to do uh, with a Uruguayan doctor. And, um I had to walk for about 5ks in the middle of a snowstorm and they first they didn't give me permission to do it but I went anyway because I just wanted to get that interview so I walked for 5ks in a wetsuit and I fa- fell with the tripod and the camera and I got all wet so everything you know was went really wrong but I managed wow. to get the interview
0: so was there any point in that venture that you were like hey I could die
3: yeah all 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 that walk I was thinking what am i doing doing this <laughs> i have two kids you know and uh, i shouldn't be doing this but uh, sometimes you have you just have to do it trust trust that everything's going to be okay
0: and so with with antarctica just in the kind of environmental side of things did you want to make this as a climate change warning at all or
3: not not explicitly one uh, there's a few films that touch on that and pretty much every single thi- uh, film that you see about the Antarctic has that. Yeah, it's almost know. a
0: bit of a trap, you know, all making the same film to an extent. That's right. Yeah. So
3: I wanted to have that theme strongly, but more I- implicitly. Mm-hmm. So so it, it touches on that, but it's not the main focus.
0: Okay. So I think we might just play a track from Camila Moreno. Mm. Why not? Why not? Because you're originally from Chile. I am, yes. And?
3: I'm a Chilean-Australian.
0: You're a Chilean-Australian, yeah. so you're you're... Citizen?
3: Yep. Awesome. Of both countries, yeah.
0: And why did you want to bring this particular song on?
3: Because it's part of a new kind of um, pop rock coming out of Chile, mixing different genres uh, with very interesting political lyrics. And it's some music that I think would play really well in the Australian context and a, a radio like FBI. You play a lot of different music. So it's part of the music that I listen to now, you know. It's one of the tracks that I'm listening now.
0: Awesome. And we'll talk a little bit about you growing up in Chile. Yep, great. After this track.
3: Okay.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Tuned into FBI 94.5, and you just heard back to back Spanish tracks on the radio, and then it just went back into King Midas sound because it was a really good song, and the radio wants it to hear it again. But we've just got to stop that because my guest and out of the box today is Juan Francisco Salazar. Thus, why you just heard two Spanish tracks back to back one from Argentina, one from Chile. And who do we just hear then?
3: The first one was uh, Camila Moreno. Uh, She's a singer-songwriter, Chilean, very young, in her early 20s, and doing some really interesting music. And the other one is perhaps the most iconic rock band in Latin America of all times, Soda Stereo. They were a rock trio, came out in the early 80s, um, and they played until the late 2000s. And then the main singer went into a very successful solo career, and he died last year of um, a stroke. Yeah, brain stroke. yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. For considering that song we just heard was from the early 90s, it stands the test of time really, really well.
3: Yeah, I think that that rock band, all all their catalog stands the test of time really well. They were really ahead of their time. They were very English in their sound, mm-hmm. um, so they were very good. And every person in Latin America from their you know teenagers to f- in their 50s will know this band and probably like this band, so it cross, crosses across generations really well as well.
0: So you grew up in Chile and Argentina. Yep. That's why those two songs. And this is this is long before those songs came out obviously because you you were born under the rule of Oh wait, you know you weren't born under the rule of when you were 3. Uh,
3: yes, I was born during the Allende government, so there was a socialist government, a mm-hmm. revolutionary government in 1971. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> and then Sprung. I Sprung. Yeah, my parents moved to Argentina uh, Argentina in 1973. Um, so um, yeah, during the coup I was in Argentina. And then there was a military coup in Argentina as well in 1976.
0: So, so did both of them become dictatorships? Yes. Both of the military dictatorships? Many dictatorship. countries in
3: South America became dictatorships at the same time.
0: So what is it like living under a military dictatorship? How would it differ to, to how it originally was?
3: Well, for me, it was uh, difficult times, but not as hard as uh, a lot of people that really suffered the the violence of the dictatorship first hand and for the other people that were supporting the the dictator- dictatorship, maybe it was good times but for the country, I think I call it the dark ages of of Chile it was you know the worst period in in recent history um and it it was tough. It was you know permanent fear, and um, there was um, how do you call it um, when you cannot come out at night, curfew, curfew. at 9 p.m. Uh, so even when I was a teenager, you know parties will you couldn't you couldn't have hold a party. You couldn't meet with people more than five people in the house, and so be together scene after. Would have been the art the art scene was destroyed in 1973. One mm-hmm. of the first things the military did went to went to the film studios, and they burned. All the film all the archives like including silent films they were burning books on the streets you know everything that had a link to communism in inverted commas whatever the the stretch of their mind was was burned so a lot of culture was burned the part of the music i also listened to when i was growing up was um victor hara it's a very important singer songwriter once I met this guy on a bus and he was from Turkey and and I told him I was Chilean, I said I love Victor Jara in a bus in Sydney, someone from Turkey. And he had his hands cut off uh, the day after the military coup and then he was the shot. The guy you met on the bus? No, or no, no, sorry, the singer-songwriter. singer-songwriter. And he changed Chilean music for good uh, and he was known all over the world and they just shot him, you know, he was a singer, you know, cut his hands and told him, now you can play, you know, without hands, and then they shot him, you know. That's the the myth of how he died.
0: And so a lot of artists would have left Chile?
3: Many left. A few others had to reinvent culture from the inside, so uh, in the 80s a whole movement of anti-dictatorship started to spring, including in the arts, or foremost from the arts and the student movement. So the student movement uh, emerged very strongly in the mid-80s, University students and also high school students. So yeah,
0: and you so, were part of that. So when, was, you, when you got back from Argentina Yeah,
3: yeah, and, and then Colombia in the middle, and then I came back to Chile in 85 and there were some monstrosities that happened there um, One time the military came into a school they kidnapped three teachers and then they appeared beheaded next to a highway There were many operations of killing including cl- killing secondary students. So kids in their st- they were seventeen years old, and they murdered them.
0: So this is this is when you guys were demonstrating. There were yep. there were a few kids leading. Yeah, a few kids. Essentially, leading, kids yeah. leading demonstrations. Yep. The yep. youth movement was was important. It was actually really was effective. Was and is important. Mm.
3: It's still now it's one of the most important civil society movements in Chile. Always been the students more than workers or other movements. Yeah.
0: What happened to the leaders of?
3: Of the All sorts of things. Some of them went next, uh, you know, they, could, they couldn't they could come back afterwards. Some of them are in power now in government. Others never recovered and died or killed themselves. Uh, other ones, you know, were imprisoned. And, you know, uh, there was this woman that I remember because she was my same age. This was in uh, 1989, I think I was 18 or 19. And she was a music student from my same university, so the same campus. And she was spraying something on a wall. And this soldier comes, and just shoots her in the back of the head, just like point blank shoots her in the point in, in the back of her of the neck. And she, I didn't see it, but you know I was part of of the of the scene. And she didn't die. And it took her like ten years to recover and you know start speaking again. And now she's a very important musician in France. She moved to France and she's a a pianist, a very important classical music pianist.
0: Wow, she sounds amazing. What's mm. her name?
3: Uh, Maria Luisa, um, oh, I can't remember the surname at Maria the moment. Luisa. Sorry. I'll we, figure it out and yep. I'll
0: put that information on the programs and playlist yep. page yep. after say, the show. So yep. if anyone's interested, they can find out yep. about this musician, yep. see what see what she's made. So I guess well the fall of di- the dictatorship would have happened when you were in Chile. Yes. Do I you know. remember the the days oh, of that happening?
3: Yeah, I. It's so I guess, vividly. You know, it's stupid life.
0: question, but. Please, there, go, was a, go. there was
3: a plebiscite first <laughs> yeah. on the 5th of October, 1988. I was in year 12. I had to go, um, it was in the middle of the you know, HSC, the equivalent in Australia. No one was focusing on the HSC. Everyone was going on the streets. So the plebiscite was there. And there was a fear campaign by the military government to vote yes. Vote yes meant, yes, we want Pinochet to continue another eight years. No meant we have enough. We want elections right now. And the no vote won 65 to 35 or something and it was one of the most amazing days in my life when fear suddenly became happiness and rainbow and it was possible to defeat the dictatorship without violence without guns just democratically said the people stood up and said no we've had enough go so one year after that was the first election and the first democratic government in 17 years was in March 1990, do which you remember, is the first rem- year of university. Mm.
0: And do you remember kind of what happened when you got the news that, yes, you had your first democratic government? You know, did everyone just take to the streets?
3: Everyone took to the streets. Well, at least 65% of the population <laughs> and a few <laughs> others were that uh, were scared of voting uh, no. And But I remember my father met with his friends at home and they were listening to the radio and they were, they were listening, you know, the the results on the radio. And that's another image, you know, how important it was for you know for his generation as much as for us. You know, I was in the late teens, early 20s, he would have been in his 40s. So it's two generations of people coming together, uh, defeating fear and violence and, and state terrorism. Yeah.
0: Amazing. And I guess if you were finishing uni, I mean, you know, we have schoolies here when we finish the HSC. What was your uh, essential schoolies like after a dictatorship fell? What was all the golden ages? Well,
3: I think the golden age uh, didn't happen during this when I was in year 12. It happened a couple of years later when, you know, the dictatorship was Mm -hmm. gone. And it was amazing times in Chile. You know, everyone was coming out. There was lots of arts, culture, politics, um, a few other things that I. Probably shouldn't say on on public radio. <laughs> Lots of but, dogs, I'm assuming. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but but in the guns, se- a lot of creativity, you know, and street art and theater, and and everyone wanted to do films and party, you know, and uh, you know the uh, the gay movement, you know, started in those years as well, and now it's stronger, you know, in a, in a country that's very conservative, you know, it has a strong gay and lesbian. Uh, movement that, you know, came out in those years. So yeah, some of the most amazing parties I've been in my life were in the early 90s and that song from Soda Stadio sort of reminded me of those years, you know, the, the 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 happiness that came and went very quickly.
0: And now it's time for our next song, so The Cure. And this is not a happy song, so we've just gone from happy to The Cure, Siamese Twins. Now why this particular song?
3: I chose it because it was my very favorite song when I was eighteen or nineteen years old, and I was trying to write poetry and be almost like um <clears throat> one of those you know dark poets and uh,
0: like a, like a beat poet or something. Yeah, yeah, and I had
3: a crush on Robert Smith. Uh, <laughs> so uh, and I I think the lyrics are very interesting, uh, very dark, but but very it's it's like a dark love song, like many of the Cure songs. You so know, it's it's a love song, but in the <clears throat> in the dark way.
0: Amazing. You listen to FBI 94.5, my guest and out of the box today, Juan Francisco Salazar, anthropologist and filmmaker from Chile. Sometimes a song just comes along at the right time, the right moment in your life. And we just got a text in or a call from Jimmy Carter, who's been let go from his job and is having a great time listening to that song. It just came along the perfect moment for him. And uh, Godspeed with your next move, Jimmy. I reckon you're going to do... Awesome things now that you've got the cure in your ears and we also got a text from Brendan from Darlinghurst when we were listening to King Midas Sound saying that wasn't terrifying, it was healing. And I think it, I think it's, you're kind of right. it's like a good, a good 50/50 split between terrifying and healing. so I'm that so means, glad
3: to hear that Right
0: This means that not only were you a successful DJ mm. in Antarctica that time. That's my dream come true? You were also successful with FBI audiences Juan Francisco Salazar, you've been killing it on the decks. So maybe you should add that to your, to your cap. You've got anthropologist, filmmaker, and DJ.
3: I'm pretend DJ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Killing it. So your, your documentary that we were talking about earlier on, Nightfall on Gaia, that is screening for Ant- Antenna Documentary Film Festival. And the one this Sunday?
3: Sunday at 5 p.m. Is sold, sold out. Sold out, yep.
0: Okay, so forget about it. But you can still come to
3: Antenna, which is an amazing festival. Yeah,
0: so many good. I've I've got the little um. Mm. I've been going through and circling pretty much all of the documentaries. I want to see all of them, but um, you've got the potential for another screening to happen the weekend after this one. Yes, the
3: following weekend. Uh, still not clear, but I think Antenna is organizing some encores for a few films, and this would be one film. So maybe your listeners will know in a couple of days, in um, Leichhardt. A second screening of the film
0: so watch this space if you go to the antenna i think documentary film festival website it should all be there so leichardt palace next weekend so if you wanted to check up on any of the songs you've heard throughout the hour they're all listed on the fbi radio website under programs and playlists and we've had juan francisco salazar anthropologist and filmmaker from chile in for the past hour and it's been fantastic and if you have missed anything you should probably subscribe to the podcast which Rachel Sibley my fantastic producer diligently uploads every week and now the song that we're going to end the show on is by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds so so when did Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds come into your life?
3: Very very early on uh, through the Wim Vendors film uh, Wings of Desire I fell in love with his music but I saw him live in 97 so I was just few months before I migrated to, uh, to Australia and I'll try to tell this story uh, in, in short can I do you have time or just we play the time. song We have time so there was this concert, uh, a Colombian band, a Chilean band, Nick Cave, uh, Love and Rockets, which was the band out of Bauhaus, and then Cypress Hill most of the it's a
0: really motley crowd I'm assuming oh, no.
3: <laughs> really bad planning so most of the people in the pit wanted to listen to Cypress Hill, so they were spitting. To every other act Spitting Spitting, yeah (laughs) So uh, the Colombian band got through uh, the Chilean band got through and then it was Nick Cave's turn uh, you know Nick Cave is Nick Cave So he came in his sort of mellow you know mood and was romantic low voice Slightly open shirt, that kind of thing And he got spitted So he went backstage really angry came back half an hour later really angry you know like rock, dark, He got another speed, you know, through the microphone, say, sweared at the public, and then left. And I went to that concert to see Nick Cave live. So I've always thought that I would bump into him somewhere and say, I'm really sorry for what happened that day in 1997 in Chile. I'm really sorry for all the good Chileans that went there just to listen to, to you and your music. So it was really embarrassing.
0: So, shout outs to anyone who knows Nick Cave, maybe has a direct line of contact, or Nick Cave if you're listening, which I guess is kind of vaguely likely. Yeah. Um, Juan Francisco Salazar apologizes that you were spat on. Profusely. Profusely. Chileans are not like that. No. All right. Well, we've got that song that we promised Stranger Than Kindness from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Juan, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. The Thank pleasure you so much. is all
3: mine, Ash. This has been great. Thank you very much.
1: than kindness, but a light from a hotel.